Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. scripture reading, second scripture, is from Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, and 44 through 52. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for being here. Uh, One quick additional note that I'd like to make, and it's just purely personal, so, or not purely personal, but... uh, we are doing planning as staff for fall. I know we all want to hang on to summer as long as humanly possible, and I'm, I'm here for that. Uh, but fall's coming, and so we're making some plans, one of which is either a book study or a scripture study of some sort. And so on the Genesis Community Facebook page, we have a poll right now with a few options, scripture study-wise and book study-wise, and we're just trying to get a gauge of who's interested in what. Uh, So if you're on Facebook, please go take a look at that and just either leave a comment or go ahead and vote and let us know what you're looking for uh, in terms of some sort of study this fall. If you're not on Facebook, come talk to me after the service and I'll explain to you what our options are, what we're looking at, and be happy to take your vote manually in that regard. So if you would do that, we very much appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, Good morning. My name is Dan Cook. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Genesis And it's wonderful to see all your smiling faces here in the chapel. And thank you to those of you who are joining us at home, too. We appreciate you being every bit as valuable a part of this community. Uh, This is the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, which means probably nothing to most of you, and that's fine. (laughs) But of the 26 weeks of ordinary time, we are nine weeks in. That's what that means. And of course, in ordinary time in the church calendar, we talk all the time about learning how to be ordinary apprentices of Jesus and how important that is here at Genesis. Uh, and in this time, we, we learn about how we allow the Spirit to empower us to be part of God's kingdom plan. And this particular portion of Scripture from Matthew has a lot to say about the nature of the kingdom. It has a lot to say about our role in God's kingdom plan. So by quick way of review, Matthew chapter 13 
is one of five sections of Matthew, as, as scholars like to divide it up. Chapter 13 gets its own section because it's this stack of parables from front to, to back. We talked about a couple of weeks ago the parable of the sower, for those of you that were here for that. That's the first parable in Matthew 13. It's also one of only three parables that Jesus actually bothers to try and explain. We talked about how you see in, in this week's uh, lectionary piece that there's two sections to it, two separated sections. We had that two weeks ago, too, where there was the parable of the sower. There was sort of a cut scene where Jesus explained why he teached in parables, and then back to an explanation of the, of the parable of the sower. So the lectionary just took those two pieces and put them together. Well, this week we have a run of parables, obviously, as you see, just parable, 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 parable. And in between is, is an explanation of a parable from a previous section. And so that's why the lectionary pulls that out and just stacks all these parables together. But if you recall back to the parable of the sower, we talked about how that story really led us to the belief that God sows continuously at the same rate, at the same pace, no matter what kind of soil God finds in front of them. And as we are to be sowers like God, we are to do the same thing. We are to pour out that love and grace and mercy and forgiveness the same way God does, irregardless of the soil that's in front of us, to everybody. And that universality is something we're going to see in this week's portion as well. So let's get to it already, shall we? As I said, there's you know, kind of two portions stuck together here, but we're actually going to divide it into four sections. We're going to talk about the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. And then we're going to talk about the treasure and the pearl. And then we're going to talk about the net. And then we're going to get to that really weird ending where he's talking about understanding things, okay? <laughs> Those are going to be kind of the four signposts as we go along here. So let's start, let's start with the mustard seed and the yeast, shall we? So let's read verses 31 to 33. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them yet another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. So, let's address something of an elephant in the room. No, the mustard seed is not the smallest of all the seeds. Sorry, it's just not. No... The mustard seed was not the smallest of the seeds they were aware of in Palestine in the first century. There's an orchid seed that's smaller, and they knew that. No, the shrub and the tree that the mustard seed grows into is not the biggest. Greatest can be interpreted a lot of ways, but it's not the largest tree and shrub that there is. What are we going to do? Yes, we can admit those things without robbing the Bible of its ability to move our hearts and bless our minds, and teach us how to better know God, which is the point of the Bible. The Bible was not created to be a 21st century history book. The Bible was not created to be a 21st century science book. Setting it, uh, making it uh, conform to those kinds of standards is folly. It's a waste of time. The amount of time that we spend arguing as Christians about inerrancy and infallibility, and to be honest, that's really an American thing, if you go to the church in Europe, you look at the, church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, the church in Africa, the church in South America, they don't spend any kind of time having these kinds of fights. The amount of time we spend talking about inerrancy and infallibility is a gross waste of time, in my opinion. Amen. That time would be much better spent talking about what Jesus was actually trying to say. How about we do that instead? 
So what was Jesus actually trying to say here? Little things matter. Little things matter. I love the people that can take big swings at big problems and change the world in better ways. That's awesome. We're not all called to be those people. We are all called to be a part of God's kingdom plan. We all have little things that we can do each and every day to help bring about the kingdom. And God has this unique ability to take those little things and turn them into big blessings for a whole bunch of different people. Blessings that often we don't see coming and the people that get blessed don't see coming. If you think about when we talk about food shelves all the time, whether it's every meal that we participate in packing for, or Second Harvest Heartland, which does an amazing job, or Prism Food Shelf is one, their ability to take a small amount of money and get a large amount of food out of it because of their connections, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. We can do little things as kingdom people. We can do little things as ordinary apprentices, and God can turn those into big, big blessings. A small seed doesn't have to be the smallest seed. A small seed can turn into a tree that's large enough to shelter birds and create room for nests and create shade. A small amount of yeast can leaven a huge amount of dough. When they talk about three measures of dough or of flour, we're not talking about like three handfuls. We're not talking about three cups. Three measures is a little bit over a bushel. I saw one estimate that said it's like 144 cups of flour which is enough to make something on the order of like 52 loaves of bread. It's a lot. And a little bit of yeast can create that big blessing for other people. God loves to bless people in ways they don't see coming. I'm convinced of this. Remember back to the parable of the sower. Who was it that came and took the seed off of the hardened path? It was birds. It was birds. Now here's Jesus just a few minutes later saying that there's a mustard tree that provides a place for birds to come and nest. What if some of those birds had made a mistake earlier and picked away seed that was intended for something else? And now here's God blessing them with the growth of a small seed into a mustard tree, into a, into a, into a bush, into a tree. Here's a place to make your nest and grow your family. God loves to bless people in ways they don't see coming. You don't make 52 loaves of bread to feed your family doesn't last that long, right? If you're making 52 loaves of bread, you're going to be blessing other people by giving them bread. God loves to bless people in ways that they don't necessarily see coming. And those little things add up into those big blessings. These parables also tell us that the kingdom is woven throughout all of creation. And this should be a relief for us. It's not all on us. A mistake that we make isn't going to derail the whole plan. God has woven the kingdom into the very fabric of creation from the beginning of time. Our, what we do, our actions matter. They do. But they're not definitive, right? They don't mean the kingdom's coming or the kingdom's not coming. That's already been decided. That's already been decided. Like the woman who's, who's kneading yeast into the dough... It's there, that kingdom yeast is there right at the very minute of creation. So is the kingdom with all of creation. Can we just point out for a minute that the author of Matthew has chosen in this metaphor to depict God as a woman in a kitchen making bread. Don't, Don't tell me, don't tell me that the Bible never presents God as a woman. Don't say that. It's right here in front of you. It's right here. God is a woman making bread and blessing the rest of their village with abundance. 
That's not accidental. That's not accidental. It's important to remember that that kingdom is woven into the very nature of creation because that means that God's will can't be stopped. That means that when we make mistakes, we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I know. I've been there. I've seen me do it. (laughs) When we make mistakes, that doesn't stop God. It might delay God for a minute. It might send God on the scenic route to get to where we're going. The enemy's trying to influence us to make more mistakes, to delay, for, to delay, to delay, but it's not ever going to stop God. God has defeated evil. God's will will be done regardless of any mistakes that we make because his will can't be stopped. And we know that if you think about it. it it's hard to understand, it's hard to believe that at times, right? Because we see this world full of pain and suffering, and yet somehow still on that heart level, we know God's there and we know God's working. So how do we reconcile that? That's why these stories are so important, because if you think of that yeast, when the yeast gets into that dough, it's hard to see where's the yeast in the dough anymore. But we sure see the results of it. It's hard to feel God working in the world sometimes, but if we're looking, we, find, we see the results of it. We see God bringing good out of every bit of that evil, out of every bit of that pain, out of every bit of that suffering, if we're looking for it. And that's why, again, these are so important. We need to be reminded of that. We know it on a heart level, but sometimes our head gets in the way, and we need that reminder. We need these stories. We need these metaphors. That's why these parables are so important. That's why the kingdom is like a mustard seed, and it's like yeast. The kingdom is also like treasure and a pearl. Let's read those verses. It's 44 to 46 here. Jesus says, the kingdom, is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. So what does this tell us? Well, this continues this theme of small things, right? We don't know, obviously, from that description, this treasure that the first man finds. We have no idea what size that is. Is it a big treasure box? Is it just a small piece of treasure? I, we don't know. It we aren't told. But we know about what the size of a pearl is, and it's not very big. The value of something is not based on its size. The value of something is based on what it does to us and our ability to then share that with other people. That's, that's where we define value. Not on how big something is. We're talking about mustard seeds and yeast, for crying out loud, okay? We're not talking about big things. We're talking about things that have an effect on us that then allow us to have an effect on other people. That's God's flow. That's the design of what the ordinary apprentice is supposed to be doing. So that's one of the things this tells us. This also tells us that the kingdom is for everybody. Remember the first parable there in the treasure, we just have a guy working in a field. We're not told, is he a day laborer? Is he perhaps somebody's slave? We don't know, but there certainly isn't anything to indicate that this person's terribly wealthy. We, we do know in that second one, we have a merchant. Merchants were generally fairly well off. And this is a merchant who has enough time to spend his time searching for rare and precious jewelry, searching for these pearls. But he finds one particular pearl of special value, and that's where he dedicates his resources and his time, and that's where he's able to share with other people. Kingdoms for everybody. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter. Nothing, none of it. There is no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no male. There is no female. The kingdom is for everybody. And we find that here in this particular, we find that in this particular parable. Remember back to Matthew 5, I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago too. 
God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness is spread like the rain falls and the sun shines on everybody, for everybody, without exception. The kingdom is for everybody. It also tells us that the kingdom should be our primary desire, our primary focus, our primary valuable, right? Once you see that in action, once you see God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness in action, in yourself, in your own life, in the life of the people that you love, in the life of people you don't even know, but you see it. Once you see it, it becomes almost impossible not to see it more and more often. And we shouldn't want to not see it. We should be looking for it. We should be looking to spread it. We should be looking for it in our own lives, and we should be realizing that this is an endless supply that God has to pour into each and every one of us so that we overflow with it to other people. That's the flow of the kingdom. That's the job of an ordinary apprentice. That should be our focus when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to the way we live as followers of Jesus. The kingdom is like a treasure and a pearl. And the kingdom is like a net. Now we get to the fun part. Let's read this one. Starting with verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Happy Sunday morning, everybody. Good heavens. There's obviously uh, what happens when we die. You know, the fancy academic term is eschatology. What happens at the end? Where, what's, where does this all come to? What's, what's the next life like? There's that vibe to what Jesus is talking about here. Here's, here's a truth. When we die, whatever process of refining, of whatever process that is, whatever steps it takes for us to get to wherever we're going, how that all works... I don't know. I don't know. And the truth is, neither does anybody else. So if anybody comes along and tries to tell you that they know, that here's how it's going to work. You have to do this to get to here, to get to there, and then you end up here. If anybody tries to tell you that, it's probably trying to sell you a book. They don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Let's just be honest about that from the get. So when we look at things like a fiery furnace, and we look at things like weeping and gnashing of teeth, Folks who believe in eternal, eternal conscious torment, folks who believe in a hell that is like the Dante's Inferno version, the pit of sulfur and the fire and the burning forever and ever and ever. People who believe love to grab verses like this and go, see? But let's remember, Jesus taught with vivid imagery, apocalyptic imagery all the time. He taught in hyperbole all the time. He loved to be dramatic all the time because that's the only way you can really shake people out of their apathy. If you want people to shift from the way things have always been to a new way of thinking, you've got to be kind of dramatic about it. And so I take that very seriously when it comes to imagery like this. I don't see this as literal. I see that, yes, eternal life has eternal consequences. Yes, I believe that that's true. And I believe this imagery is of an idea of an eternal separation from God. What that looks like, I don't know. I have ideas. But nobody really knows what that looks like. So we can understand the eternal consequence part of it. We understand that big nature part that is important without having to get into real nitty-gritty imagery about sulfur pits and burning and all of these things that just don't seem to jive with the character of God. We can talk about that. Because I don't think judgment, in this case, the way Jesus is, is describing it, 
is exactly how it appears. Why do I say that? In order to explain that, we've got to talk a little bit about Greek. Kara, please don't roll your eyes as me as I say that. Uh, we've got to talk a little bit of Greek. I'll keep it as, as base level as I can, honestly. But the important thing to understand here is that this word net in the parable of net, the Greek word that is translated as net, appears once and only once in the entire New Testament, and it's right here. When you're talking about, say, the scene where Jesus is resurrected and he's on the beach and the guys are out fishing and he tells Peter, hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat. I know you haven't caught fish all day, but if you throw it on the other side, you'll catch a bunch of fish, and he does. That word for net, completely different word. This kind of net's a different kind of net. This is, a kind of, this is like a drag net, right? This is a net you throw, it sinks to the bottom of the sea, and then you're dragging it along the bottom, and it's grabbing everything that it can find there, whether it's fish, whether it's crustaceans, whether it's junk that's been thrown at the bottom, other organic matter, whatever it is, it gathers all of that up as you draw it in. That's the kind of net we're talking about here. And when you see fish described in the English here, the Greek word for fish doesn't appear in this passage at all. It's never there. The translators have put it in, thinking that they're clarifying things. And it's, that's been a long tradition of having that idea of... I mean, if you're throwing a net over the side of the boat and dragging it, you're probably trying to catch fish. But are you only trying to grab fish in this particular thing? What if they're not clarifying it? What if this isn't about separating good fish from bad fish? What if this is about separating good parts of creation from the bad parts of all of creation? which is what God has sort of promised to do, right? To restore and renew creation to what it's supposed to be. Take the good parts, get rid of the bad parts. Jesus talks about separating the evil from the righteous. Well, how do we become righteous? Right? Remember, righteousness is just being rightly related to God. We were born rightly related to God, and then sin showed up, and sin creates this blockage and this path between us and God. Jesus comes along, sacrifices himself to remove that sin, to remove that blockage, and to free us up to once again be in right relationship with God. But he doesn't just do that for the good guys. He does that for everybody. So if everybody has the opportunity to be righteous, and we're separating righteous from evil, what is that separation actually about, right? I would contend that that separation is not about taking the uh, rule breakers, and separating them from the rule followers. It's not taking the bad boys and girls and separating them from the good boys and girls. And if you hear nothing else, hear this. It is certainly, definitely, absolutely not about the American church deciding who's righteous and who's not, who the good people are and who the good people aren't. Because we suck something awful at that. Okay? It's definitely not about that. As our kids get ready to rejoin us. Fist bumps all around. No high five for Jack. That's fine. That's fine. So if it's not about those things, what is it about? What are we separating? I contend, I contend that when it comes about what we're separating, we're talking about separating people who have chosen to follow the way of Christ and people who haven't. What I don't mean by that is necessarily people who have chosen Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and if you haven't done that, you're going to burn in the fiery pit of hell forever. Remember, the very first Christians didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way. You're never going to convince me that Gandhi's burning in hell because he didn't choose God or choose Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But he lived the, he lived the way, man. That guy lived the way. That's what I'm talking about here. 
separating those who ultimately... And how that process works, again, when you... I don't know. Maybe the Catholics have it right and there's a purgatory. There's a piece of time where people figure it out. I don't know. I don't know. But if you're living in the way that a humble carpenter from Nazareth laid out for us, that's the separation that we're talking about here. That's the separation I believe Jesus is talking about. Those who choose to live the way God has created us to live and those who ultimately don't. I hope that I'm wrong and that universalists are correct and that everybody ends up picking that way. I hope that's how it is. I also hope that we really do actually have free will, which leads me to believe that certain people just are going to be stubborn. I'm not a stubborn person, so I don't know anything about that. <laughs> but people who choose to be stubborn and choose not to follow that way are going to make that choice, and, and so be it. The kingdom becomes like a net. Which leads us to the final spot, which is this notion of understanding. So let's read those verses very quickly here. Starting with verse 51. Have you understood all of this? They answered, yes. Now, we've just last spent the last 22 minutes and 45 seconds going over this. I don't know that I've got it all figured out, much less these people 2,000 years ago that were listening. I think that's a bit of a quick yes. I don't know. I, just, I, don't, try, I don't know that I trust that. Continuing. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, where you see his disciple there, uh, put in ordinary apprentice and see how that strikes you. Therefore, every scribe who has become an ordinary apprentice in the kingdom of heaven is like the master of the household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I think what Jesus is trying to do here is to remind people that, or is to get people, again, we talked about this a little bit earlier, shake them out of their apathy, right? Shake them out of this is how we've always thought about this. And that requires dramatic examples. That requires you also to get out of your head and get down on that heart level. Not the easiest thing in the world for me, but it's something that you know, is important. Is important. Because on the head level, how we've always thought about things, how we've always done things creates this blockage. It's hard to understand the radical nature of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness being for everybody when you're stuck on that head level. When you're not thinking, in the heart level, that sort of resonates and it makes sense. In the head level, there's this voice that pops up and goes, well, that's not fair. I followed all the rules. They didn't follow all the rules. Why are we both offered this gift from God? That's not fair. We have to get rid of that kind of thinking. As the wise Master Yoda once said, we have to unlearn what we have learned. There's your Star Wars reference for the day. But we have to get out of that head level and get down on that heart level to really understand just how radical this actual teaching from Jesus really is. The mechanism of our salvation is available to everybody. We don't earn it. We don't work our way into deserving it. It is radically available for everybody. There's a New Testament author by the name of Charles Cusar. He puts it this way. When we talk about the old and the new in this passage, understanding that, he says there's, a, there's the old story to be rehearsed of God's promise to establish a reign of peace and justice in the world and of God's working in the history of an ancient people to bring about that reign. There's also the new fact, Jesus' entry into the story, confirming that promise and demonstrating, albeit in a hidden way, the nature of God's reign. In the disciples' training, in the ordinary apprentices' training, the two belong together. Scripture points to Jesus. The arc of Scripture leads us to Jesus. The arc of Scripture makes sense in light of Jesus. The old is important and the new is important. This radical nature of God's love has always been there. In light of Jesus, when you go back and you read the Old Testament, you'll see it there. It's there, waiting like a treasure found in a field. 
So, what have we ultimately learned? How do we summarize this? What do we do with all of this? We have to be okay with the idea that we're small, okay? We have to. Look, we are individual beings on this gigantic sphere that's so much bigger than we are that we can't even sense that the thing's spinning like a top and revolving around the sun. We have no physical perception of that because we're so tiny relative to that. And that sphere, though much bigger than we are, is relatively tiny compared to some of our neighbors in our own solar system. And it's a fairly nondescript solar system in a fairly nondescript galaxy that's one of billions and billions and billions and billions of galaxies out there. We are tiny. Our actions are tiny. And our actions matter. Because God can take the tiniest of things and multiply it and grow it and turn it into big blessings for people who don't even see those blessings coming. Our actions matter because God makes them part of a precious resource that is available for everybody. Our actions matter because Jesus has offered all of us the blessing of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And they matter because all God asks of us as ordinary apprentices of Jesus is to spread that same love and grace and mercy and forgiveness to everyone around us. Because there's an endless supply coming our way. The same way we said we're to be sowers, the way God is a sower, we are to spread that love and grace and mercy and forgiveness the same way God spreads it. As the rain falls and as the sun shines for everybody. That's what being an ordinary apprentice is all about, and that's where these parables lead us today. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org. Thank you.